The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Thank you for not doing that. Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. This is the first message in a series on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. We will be in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would bless the preaching of it. So as we start this series to help set the stage in our minds uh, for a study on the fruit of the Spirit, uh, today we are going to be looking at five things. Now, I don't always alliterate the points of my sermon. When I do, it's usually awful. Uh, that being said, the outline just kind of fell into place on this one, so it accidentally is so. Hopefully it isn't too awful. Uh, the outline uh, today will be the terms, the temptation, the two ages, the tension, and the triumph. Now first, I want to define some terms and set some parameters for our study through the fruit of the Spirit. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit in verse 16 and to be led by the Spirit in verse 18? Well, as is often helpful, let me start by explaining what it isn't. It's not the idea that each individual has a higher and lower nature and has within himself the power to overcome the lower nature with the higher. It's not even the idea of the triumph of the new man over the old man. The fact that we can wage war against the old man is evidence of the Spirit's leading, but it's not the leading itself. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, being led by the Spirit is referring to progressive sanctification. It is the constant and effective influence of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer. By this power and influence of the Spirit, we are being moved 
and empowered. Empowered to what? Well, empowered to an ever-growing capacity to defeat the power of remaining sin. Empowered to walk in obedience to God's commands. Not only that, but our will is also being changed so that we are growing in our ability to obey these commands freely and even cheerfully. Additionally, walking by the Spirit is more than simply being guided by the Spirit. The concept here in 18 is that the enslaving power of the law is broken for all who are led by the Spirit. This indicates that the leadership of the Spirit is much more than merely pointing the right way. The Holy Spirit becomes the primary controlling influence in the life of believers, not merely an external guide. Now Paul also makes a connection here between the church and the Old Testament. By saying, walk in the Spirit, he is bringing the thoughts of the Galatians back to the Exodus. Doesn't it seem like everything always goes back to the Exodus? That's amazing. Freedom and slavery is a recurring theme in Galatians. Paul reminds them in Galatians 3.23 that before Christ came, they had been imprisoned and held captive under the law. He also reminds them that they were previously slaves of the elementary principles of this world in Galatians 4, 8 and 9. Paul is drawing our minds back to the Hebrews' slavery in Egypt and the freedom that God won for them in the deliverance from captivity. Now thankfully, the story of the Exodus does not end at the Red Sea. God continued to deliver and form His people by His presence throughout the wilderness wanderings. It was the Holy Spirit that led God's people through the wilderness. In Isaiah chapter 63, verses 11-14, through 14, the prophet states that, he, that God put in the midst of them His Holy Spirit, who caused His glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them, who led them through the depths, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. Now, Nehemiah gives more credence to this idea in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 19 and 20. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire was the Holy Spirit leading them to the promised land. Israel was being led by the Spirit. They were literally walking by the Spirit. The picture that Paul wants us to see here is that we are likewise walking by the Spirit through the spiritual wilderness of this world and on our way to the promised land. And we are going forward, and as we do, we're being changed and made to look like the people of God. We are being transformed. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness, 
the old generation will pass away. The old man is put to death. And the new generation of Israel was led by the Spirit into the promised land, just as the new man is led to glory by the same Spirit. Now, this reality of the Spirit bringing us to glory does not eliminate the fact, as B.B. Warfield put it, that it is we who tread every step of the way. Our limbs that grow weary with labor. Our hearts that faint. Our courage that fails. Our faith that revives our sinking strength. Our hope that instills new courage into our souls as we toil on over the steep ascent. Do not be discouraged if you are weary on the pilgrimage to the promised land. Instead, be encouraged. There are many saints who have gone before us in this path. It is straight and narrow, if not easy. Not only that, but this path is built on the foundation of the rock-steady promises of the Most High. You will make it through this wilderness. With Exodus as a backdrop, we, we will see more clearly that Paul is telling us in this passage, and as we do, we're going to see a common temptation. In the story of Israel's wanderings, there is an amazing phenomenon that occurs. The people are faced with very hard circumstances, and their response, amazingly, is a desire to return to Egypt. They lose sight of the promises and they shift their focus onto their circumstances. They would rather be slaves in Egypt than starving in the wilderness. Now for the Galatians, the temptation was to return to the bondage of the Mosaic Covenant. But do you see the parallel? Life can be hard, even as a Christian, maybe especially as a Christian. When we go through an especially difficult season, there is a real temptation to return to our former lives as slaves. For some, this may mean a return to the life of sin that we left behind. Or for others, as was the case in the Galatian churches, it's a return to slavery under the, the law, the Mosaic Covenant. Now, in reality, of course, these two are actually one and the same, as Paul is going to demonstrate in this passage. Returning to the life of sin and returning to righteousness by works and the law are the same error. The error of trusting anything besides Christ. Paul is describing here two distinct realms. That of the flesh and that of the spirit. These realms are totally at odds with one another. You can see that in verse 17. For the desire of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. This describes two distinct ages. The first is this present evil age, as described in Galatians 1.4. The Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present 
evil age. This is the realm of the fallen world. Mankind under the headship of Adam. When Adam failed as the initial representative of humanity, the world was cursed. Mankind was given over to a sinful nature, ruled by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And the descendants of Adam fell into corruption. Our very nature was to long for the things that destroy us. These are the works of the flesh. These are the marks of the unconverted person who remains a slave of this present evil age. The second age in view is what the New Testament refers to in many places as the age to come. Now chronologically, there is an overlap between these ages. As the church, we are a people who have been delivered from the present evil age and yet that age continues. We are, like Paul, a people born out of time. When we were born again, we were born into the age to come. The age to come has broken through into this present age. And actually, when we gather here and worship on the Lord's day, we are given a taste of the age to come. We live in the paradox of the already, but not yet. Galatians 5 describes the conflict that arises within us as we live in this overlap. Having been delivered from the present evil age and being made part of the age to come in the future. Paul describes the conflict in terms of the behavior manifested by those who dwell in each age respectively. For those who remain undelivered from this present evil age, the works of the flesh. For those who have been delivered into the age to come, the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh in verse, verses 19 through 21 are the marks of this present evil age. And the list can be broken down into four categories. Immorality, idolatry, rivalries, and debauchery. Now, I'm going to go through these very quickly. I'm just going to highlight the words that the Holy Spirit, through Paul, has chosen to describe the works of this present evil age. The first category is that of immorality. And there are three words here to consider. Sexual immorality is a term that covers all act, uh, sexual activity outside of God's design in marriage. Impurity, the next word, is closely related to idolatry. And it covers more than our actions. It includes our words and our thoughts, and even the desires of our heart that are not in line with the Spirit of God. Sensuality is the characteristic of a person who shows no restraint to the impulses of the sinful nature. Well, next is the category of idolatry. Idolatry is more than just worshiping a carved image, though that certainly would be included it carries with it the idea of participation in any practice associated with such worship. 
Now this would include the practice mentioned in other passages of eating meat sacrificed to idols when one's conscience forbids it. It also includes the substitution of anything for the adoration of God. The true God as He has revealed Himself in the Lord Jesus. Therefore, greed would fall into this category as it is ultimately exchanging oneself for God. It also seems to me that the phenomenon of celebrity in our culture would come close to this as well. You know, there are certain aspects of our culture who would do anything that their celebrity hero told them to do. This is evident in society, but you know, there is a very real danger here for believers as well who are drawn to celebrity preachers. Christians from different groups argue over their chosen champions. And if you say anything that could be seen as negative against someone's chosen celebrity champion, they are offended. And they come to fight with sometimes surprising intensity. Idolatry is a work of the flesh. It's from our old life. It has no place in the life of a believer. Celebrity is a poison to the Christian. But the antidote is found in the ordinary means of grace within the local church. God has given us a church where our pastors know us and they can instruct us through the applying of God's Word to our lives. The celebrity doesn't know you. While he may say good things, and often they do say good things, he has neither the insight into your life nor oversight of your soul. We are truly blessed here at Trinity to have pastors who take this role seriously and they work diligently to care for us. The next word in this category is sorcery. This is a translation of the Greek word pharmakia. I thought of a lot of fun things we could do with pharmakia, but suffice it to say, it is in reference to those who in ancient times mixed drugs that offered magical solutions. This is where we get our word pharmacy in English. Now, the works of our old life will often try to draw us back to Egypt, back to our old life, to live like the old self that relied on anything other than the Lord. The next category is rivalry. And this is the biggest category in the list, which gives us a little hint. There are eight fleshly works described here in this section. And the emphasis of this category gives us a clue that this was an issue facing the Galatian churches. In the passage just above ours, in verse 15, we see that the Galatians are in danger of destroying one another because of a lack of love. These were the works that demonstrated that they were giving themselves back to slavery, to sin, and the law. The first word is enmity, or in some translations, hostility. This is the first active step to division within the church. It's when I begin to suspect that someone is thinking or behaving in a way that I disapprove of, 
and my attitude towards them changes. I begin to think with hostility towards them. The next word is strife or wrangling in some translations. This is a word uh, referencing when people begin to take sides in a dispute. Interestingly, it's especially in reference to contending against people who are following a different leader, a rival leader. Connected to strife is jealousy. Now, multiple texts in the New Testament uh, align strife and jealousy together. I'm only going to mention one for time's sake. 1 Corinthians 3.3 says, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Do you see the distinct two ages? Paul reminds the Corinthians that their behavior is from the present evil age, the age of the flesh. They are neglecting the deliverance they have in Christ. They have forgotten that they are born again. Pastor Brian calls this gospel amnesia. But the old man is dead along with his slavery to sin. Now they are alive in Christ, born of the age to come. Well, as the people divide themselves based on different leaders, they wrangle with one another and fall into jealousy, which devolves into fits of anger. The word translated as rivalries in the ESV is translated elsewhere in the New Testament as self-seeking or selfish ambition. This gives you a sense of what was happening. The schisms within the church have led to a party spirit in which lines are drawn and sides are taken. Much to the delight of our enemy. Can you see the escalation? They are so at odds that dissensions arise. They argue and hotly debate their differences rather than bearing with one another in love. The word translated in the ESV as divisions at the end of verse 19 is the Greek word hieresis. Where we get our English word heresy. It carries the idea of people choosing to follow their own doctrines and fighting with those who disagree with them. A biblical example of this behavior is seen in the Pharisees. They chose to divide and follow their own traditions. And they were very contentious about it. There's a natural tendency for people to follow their leader of choice, even if it leads to trouble. Or they may hear a word of truth from the leader that they don't like and reject it and be repulsed by it simply because of who said it. Choosing instead to follow their own way rather than the truth of Scripture. These are serious things that Paul is talking about. The divisions here are so strong that the people are in real spiritual danger. Well, this category ends with the word envy. So 
The word defined as looking with ill will on another person because of what he is or has. It was envy that caused the murder of Abel. Envy threw Joseph into a pit. It was envy that caused Korah to rebel against Moses. Envy made Saul pursue David. And it was envy that crucified Christ. Paul makes the same point here in Galatians that he made in 1 Corinthians 13.4. Love never envies. Well, the last category is debauchery. The terms drunkenness and orgies are in reference to licentious behavior that shows no restraint. It's a party lifestyle. It refuses to be brought into order. But notice that this list is not exhaustive. Paul ends by saying, and things like these. Now, this gives us the ability to pause here and ask the question, what are the things that are pulling on us? What works of the flesh are pulling on you, trying to drag you back to Egypt. Remember, all believers face this. This is the tension we face as Christians. We are born from above, but we dwell here below. What is the pull for you, dear believer? The works of the flesh try to weasel their way into our lives to cause us to be ineffective in our Christian life. And to cause strife and division within the church. And we often fall for it because we're trying to justify ourselves. Well, thanks be to God that we have not been left alone in the wilderness to figure it out or die on our own. Notice that those who do the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. The word do here is significant. It's referring to those who prefer perform an act repeatedly or habitually. This is the practice of their lives. This refers to those who are characterized by or uh, defined by these sins. It's a completely different Greek word from the one which properly refers to a single act. Dear Christian, your standing before God does not hinge on anything that you have or have not done. This is not condemning those who are tempted to return to Egypt. It is a warning that this is the behavior of this present evil age. Remember, the works of the flesh are the behaviors evident in those who have not been delivered from this age. They are the works of those who remain in slavery to sin. But you, dear Christian, are not in slavery to sin. Don't you know that you've been made new? 
You were born into the age that is to come. You are no longer in bondage. We are no longer slaves, but have been set free from the shackles of sin. And yet, we cannot deny that we are all guilty of returning to this former bondage. So what are you to do when you look around and see that you are living like a slave to sin? If you find yourself spiritually back in Egypt, a free person who has returned to bondage, what do you do? Thankfully, the answer could not be more simple. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. This is the triumph of the seed of the woman over the seed of the serpent. Christ has conquered sin and set us free. Isn't that great news? In Christ... Sin is defeated once and for all time. You are free to leave sin. You are not held by it anymore. Christ has set you free. Walk in the freedom by turning to Christ and walking with Him by the Spirit. You do not walk by your own power, but by the power of Christ are free to leave the life of sin. Simply turn to Christ. And if you've never been free, if you've never trusted in Christ and His work to free you from the slavery, from sin, if this list of the works of the flesh are representative of your habitual life, I offer you good news as well. Christ has done all the work necessary for the salvation of His people. All you need to do is believe and trust in the finished work of Christ. He lived a perfect, sinless life. The life that you have failed to live. And He died a perfect, sacrificial death punishment you deserve for your sin. He was then raised from the dead as evidence that His work had been accepted by God. And now He offers you the opportunity to receive the benefit of His work. Jesus is offering you in exchange for the filthy rags of your slavery he is offering you the glorious white robes of His right standing before God. And with it, freedom from sin and death. Well, let us all trust in Christ to lead us out of the land of slavery and into the promised land. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. 
To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.